The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello, everybody. I'm Rebecca Lowe, and this is our Premier League on NBC podcast number three as we try to keep in touch with you and try to keep you company um, during this obviously very unprecedented time. As always, let me start by introducing who is on the pod today. And we've got a full house. Mr. Carl Martino, Mr. Robbie Musto, Mr. Lee Dixon, Mr. Robbie Earl, Mr. Arlo White, back to his healthy self, thank goodness, and Mr. Graham Lasso as well. And I know I speak on behalf of all the chaps, whether they're in the US or in the UK, because of course this is affecting all of us. To say that we send you at home or wherever you're watching this, wherever you're listening to this, all of our love and all of our best wishes. And also to know that we are going to be here for you all the way through this period, right up until the moment that we appear back on your TV screen. So that is a promise from us. Now let's get on and talk some football, shall we? And today's topic, well, of course, we know this is not the top of everybody's priority list, but football is still, of course, incredibly important to a lot of people. Not least, it gives um, livelihoods to many, many people in the Premier League in the UK, not just players, but thousands and thousands of people who work at football clubs. So it is a hugely important thing. And of course, it brings a lot of joy as well to so many people. So I know that you at home are really interested to kind of find out our thoughts and the chat's thoughts mainly on how this season's going to finish. A couple of weeks ago, we had a chat about that. Fast forward two weeks, this world right now is changing so quickly. And this week, a couple of articles have come out which we thought were interesting. They seem to be slightly leaked, as so often is the case. And some different ideas that appear to be talked about around the tables uh, of the FA, of the PFA, and of, crucially, the Premier League as well. So I'm just going to throw out there, chaps, a couple of um, the notions that have come out, the possible ideas to try and get this season finished. The Independent this week talked about a World Cup-style camp where all the teams would get together in either the Midlands, depending on where they're from originally, the Midlands or in London, and essentially bunker down, if you like, in hotels alongside all their coaches and medical staff, probably some cameramen as well, and they would basically be as though they were at a World Cup all together in a hotel, then they would meet to play each other behind closed doors. St. George's Park, which is, of course, the official um, England training camp area, that is a possibility because we've got so many pitches there. That is an area that could be used as well as empty stadiums as well. And they're looking to do that in June and July. That is one idea that has come out by the Independent. Um, Just a couple of days ago in the Daily Mail, another idea apparently that is being discussed, they're so desperate to get this season finished, by July the 12th, the reason being is that July the 12th is the cutoff time in terms of if the season of 2019-2020 is not completed by July the 12th, then up to around a billion dollars is going to be owed back to TV broadcasters in contract So what Daily Mail this week is reporting is that they will play games behind closed doors starting in May and they will waive a lot of rules like weaken squads, they'll um, increase squad numbers so that players, more players can be rotated. That's another thing that's possibly happening um, or is certainly being talked about right now. 
And then this morning in The Guardian, David Kahn has, re has been reporting that UEFA fear that football won't even begin until the end of June. So that's a whole other take on it as well. As you know, I'm sure listening, Wimbledon this morning, the last couple of hours, um, has been cancelled for this year. First time that's happened since the Second World War. And the Champions League, the Europa League, continue to be suspended indefinitely. So things are not looking good. It's hard to imagine a world in which Wimbledon is not going on, but the Premier League is. But perhaps behind closed doors, that could happen. So let's throw it out to you guys. And Robbie, I'm going to start with you today. Um, taking into account all of these ideas that are being leaked out of the offices of the top echelons of English where do you stand on any of those ideas? And by the way, we will also get on to possible deferring of wages for players, but that's, of course, a separate thing. How do we finish this season, Robbie, based on these kind of ideas? Could you give me those intros again in the background? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to go to the independent um, article that, that came out, because it did interest me, I have to admit, and the, the thought of a kind of tournament-style situation where you'd have two camps, one in London, one, one in, in the Midlands. They'd play the games a bit like tournament. They, they would be broadcast daily. And in theory, and I spoke to a couple of my mates, and they sort of said, that sounds really good. We'll get to the end of the season. We'll get the 38 games in. There'll be football on. We're self-isolating, but we'll be able to watch the games. But I have to admit, personally, Rebecca, and the more that I think about it, I'm starting to go 360 on this. And I was one of those who said, we've got to finish the season. In recent times, and in, in recent days, over 350 people have died in the, in the UK yesterday. Over 800 and I think 50 people have died in the US. I'm kind of starting to think, can we really be playing football in these times? Does it really matter? Does three points, does <coughs> top or, or bottom of the league really matter when we're having the amount of deaths that we're having, when we've got all the medical staff, the first responders, everybody who's such at risk and is working so hard. And we're starting to say that football's important. We're sitting down and having these discussions. Just, just think, Rebecca, and, and the one other thing that, that sort of comes to mind is that it almost feels to me like the net's drawing closer. Either you know somebody or you know somebody who knows somebody who's got the virus. It's starting to feel like it's coming in. What if it, during that time one of the players has got a wife or a, a relative who, who's got, the, got the, the virus? What if we have got somebody around us, you know, God, God willing, that has got the virus? I don't think, I think the last thing we'd want to talk about, the last thing we would want to start talking about relegation and, and winning in Champions League is football matches. And for that reason, I just think we've got to wait and see how the virus goes, have the plans in place. But at this stage, I'm really not, not that bothered about it being completed at all. That's an interesting take, Robbie Earl, and one that I know, I think Lee Dixon, Carl Martino have also echoed in, in recent weeks. A whole other angle then is, is to, to end the season null and void, cancel it, there are bigger things than football. There is a, a huge argument against that, of course. I know a lot of people feel very strongly, not these Liverpool fans and, and fans from lower down the league. Um, that's interesting. Arlo, it's the first time you've been on our podcast. I know you've not been well, so it's good to see you back and healthy. Um, what's your take on it? Are you in Robbie Ellis' camp or are you in, a, in the camp of maybe one of these 
uh, rather radical ideas. Well, I totally agree with, with what Robbie's saying, and I take those sentiments on board about the fact that we are in an unprecedented global pandemic situation. I like the idea of, of, of staging a World Cup-style tournament. I think a couple of weeks ago on the pod, I said that under, under any circumstances, really, I think the season should be finished, however long it takes. So without regurgitating that entire argument... I like this idea. Now, the premise would be um, that the government and, and the World Health Organization have cleared sport to be able to take place again, maybe not in front of audiences. So we're talking about behind closed doors. Um, so it's safe. Now, of course, there is an issue of if a player gets a serious injury and he needs hospital attention and you're taking, you know, key NHS or, or healthcare workers away uh, from, from their, their day job, which is looking after people that may have the virus. But I don't think that's going to be a case because the vir- there wouldn't be people in the hospital with the virus in the first place because we're at a stage where we are beyond it. That's the only plan, the only time that this this plan could possibly come to fruition. Um, I think when I read a lot of Twitter and I see a lot of, and I, and I understand where, where you're coming from, Rob, um, it is hard to think about football at the moment. It is hard to think about completing a season. It does seem relatively trivial. But having said that, People at Netflix, for example, that a lot of people are watching at the moment, I'm sure behind the scenes, they're not saying, right, I don't even want to think about any future programs that we're making. Uh, people at film studios, no, 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 we are, I can't even have a conversation with you right now about any movies that we're making. Any industry at the moment would not be doing its job, its due diligence to plan for eventualities upon which we then resume that business. And the Premier League is no different. So maybe they did leak a couple of stories to, to test, the, test the waters a little bit, um, but they're doing their job. And I think one or two journalists I've read online and on Twitter saying, well, how can we possibly be thinking about it at this time? I, I agree, we don't don't need to, to to debate it and argue about it but the Premier League and broadcasters and all the stakeholders need to do their work they've got nothing but time on their hands at the moment so if, if for example it was decided and the government said July the July the 11th right everything everyone everything's back to normal and everyone sat there going oh my goodness well I hadn't even thought about it because I was told not to think about something as trivial as football that's going to be a problem so everybody has to do their job every industry has to do their job and at the moment their ideas and then they could get pushed back and pushed back and pushed back to such time as it becomes impossible to restart the season but if it were to start in June or July I love the idea of a, of a, of a 30-day World Cup get it finished one proviso that all the commentators have to be in a dorm room uh, I just want to see Lee and Graham share a bunk bed <laughs> <laughs> who's on top one bit of first time Graham I'll come to you next I think the other thing to bear in mind with this is that it's very clear of course soccer football is the national sport it's the national pastime in the UK and it does bring huge amounts of joy to people and I know that a month ago, the idea of playing behind closed doors and friends of mine back in the UK watching those games were like, oh, I don't want to watch that. That'll be rubbish. Now they're like, I'll watch it. I'll watch anything. <laughs> I'll watch literally anything. So I think that has changed and playing behind closed doors now seems a little bit more appealing. Um, your take this morning, Graham. Well, I think it's all about scenario planning. You have to plan for every eventuality. And at the moment, I think it's absolutely right that the message coming out of football is that we aim to finish the season. If you think about all the players that are training in isolation at the moment every day, trying to maintain their fitness, having played two-thirds of the season, not knowing what's going to happen like everyone else, 
having that uncertainty about whether the whether the season finishes or not, um, and they get the chance to either fight to win a championship or stave off relegation. So I think in principle it's absolutely right to be discussing um, when it will be finished, not if. I think also from the what's the least worst option, um, and we said this two weeks ago on the podcast, Arlo, myself, possibly one other, um, about the, the fact that you're better to complete something that you've started rather than cancel it and try and start something else. Because there's the equal possibility, and I don't want to be a doom monger, but if we cancel the season, start a new season, end up with coronavirus mark two next year, you then stop that season. I think we're looking at, at, at a situation that is so unknown and so fluid that the most important thing at the moment is to try and maintain the path we're on with the leagues that we have. And that's not just a British issue. That's a, a global sporting issue. Um, some sports are able to factor this in. Basketball, for instance, has a longer break, so they can use this as a, as a, as a bit of a sort of a blueprint for what they do in their closed season. Uh, with us in football, it's, it's trying to create normality for players in a situation that, as we all know, is far from normal. But I'm absolutely um, of the view that, that we have to do everything we can and not set a date, because we don't know, to, to complete the season, to give people hope that the season will be finished. Anything other than that, I think, will cause a huge amount of problems in terms of the spirit of, of, of professional people, in terms of the attitudes of the fans and the trust they have in, in us and our sport, um, and also the, the legal arguments that will follow, which inevitably there are going to be some legal issues, whatever happens. Um, but I think that there'll be a, a huge, um, a huge sort of um, amount of legal challenges if, if the season's considered null and void. And the implications to football clubs could see football clubs going out of business. And I don't say that lightly. I think we're entering the first football recession any of us have ever seen. And, and, and that's the sad reality. We've got to find a way of everybody come getting through this together with the least damage possible. You've been vocal over the last few weeks, very strong with your opinion that you feel the opposite, actually, to Graham, very much so, that you believe that the way forward is to cancel the season. It never happened. Big red cross through it, clean end, and we move on when it's safe to do so. Are you still of that thought, sort of a week on? <clears throat> um, funny enough, just like Robbie Earl, I'm kind of changing a little bit, and that my first thought before I had any information, um, there is no panacea here. There, there are legal implications of any decision that's made. I think the reality is this probably qualifies as force majeure and, and there, there is no legal environment that can contain what we're seeing right now because the epidemic creates an environment where you are not going to have a, a a all-win solution. There is a zero-sum game here where something has to lose in order for something else to, to be gained. And, and I just think if we start with the premise that the world is better, and I believe this, and, and I guess we all do on the phone, we live in this world, we, we grew up in this world, fortunate enough to, to have a job in it, the world is better when there's football to watch. And so if, if we all believe that, then it's about how, how do we create a world that is not putting people unnecessarily at risk in order to continue to produce something that brings so much joy to people. And, and I'm not for a second trying to minimize um, what's happening out there. What, what's happening out there is, is frightening. It's scary. People are 
um, pe people are really worried about their own well-being, the well-being of their loved ones. And it, it, it's not hyperbole to say that finding joy in entertainment right now is something that brings a wanted distraction and a positive mental health um, solution to people. And, and, you know, Arlo mentions the entertainment industry. You know, it's not, it's, it's not um, ridiculous to say, can we find a way to give people what brings them so much joy? And, and I think ideas like a, a, a World Cup environment are ones where we have to think radically. There, there is no normal format solution that is going to, be, to, be, to satisfy this. I still believe, like I believe day one, the easiest thing to do is to say the season's void. It's done. You have to finish it. It's the best of the worst decisions you could make because it's just clean and everyone's affected exactly the same way. You do not change the world in order to bring it forward. But if we just push that to the side and say we have to finish in some way, but more bring football back into people's lives because they enjoy it so much, here's, here's my quick pitch. So I think that if we're going to talk about people at risk right now of this scary virus, those that are tested every single day for their physical health in the prime physical health of their life, literally with doctors around them all day long, just operating like complete specimens. These are the people that I think we can put together in a group in an Olympic village or a World Cup town to, unfortunately, it's the difficult part, just like all of us that went to play in international tournaments, be away from our family. But to, to go into that environment and to play closed doors matches, the, the biggest loss in that scenario is going to watch football matches is a dream. I mean, Ar Arlo and Graham and Lee, I mean, to see their faces and the atmosphere behind them and, and the ambient noise of the fans, all of that is part of the magic of the game. Maybe, go back to Hollywood, there's guys like George Lucas. There's some pretty creative people out there. <laughs> I honestly think that we can take amazing games over the past, use that sound as a soundtrack, to give noise and to give incredible atmosphere to games that have no fans to them. And even when a goal is scored in this, you know, vacuum of a world, in this Truman Show of a World Cup, you know, you can play the sound of a goal of past and even put a little footnote saying that that, that celebration sound was from, you know, Suarez's goal three seasons, four seasons ago. And you, if you can't fix it, feature it. We all want football back on the TV. And I do think there is a responsible way to bring it back in people's lives without bringing unnecessary risk. And so I think the solution should be less about we have to finish a Premier League season. You know, that's rule, that's law, that's dogma. It should be more about like people are unhappy without this game in their life. And let's bring happiness to people again. Kyle, just, I love it. Chucking in some radical ideas. <laughs> Piping in George Lucas soundtrack. I mean, Arlo and I called an Olympic gold medal match. I was in Stanford, Connecticut. Where <laughs> yes. were you, Arlo? I was at the Maracanã in Rio. I think it was 5,000 miles, wasn't it? Yeah. It there you go. Okay, I like it. I like it. Robbie Musto, you're next up this morning. How are you feeling about the world today? Well, still very much the same uh, feeling that the season, we need to finish it. Um, of course, the, the, the mini World Cup type of idea... I like it. Um, I, think, I think the main thing that, that we've got to realize with that is that we're hoping that in June or whatever, the National Health Service in the UK is on top of it all. And that 
you know, we, you can't be playing a mini tournament when there's still deaths going on and that the NHS is stretched. And it, 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 that, so there's got to be a matter of patience until when we do this. Now, I understand the idea of this, this mini tournament is to get as many games played as quickly as possible to finish a season. And I'm sure the fans of the game will love it. And, you know, like, yeah, maybe Kyle's idea of, of, of plumbing in sounds of musto goals from the past is a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, good, there's just got to be a patience on when we do it. And that's got to be driven by the UK government and the, the, the health service to say, you know what, we're kind of on top of it. We're over this curve. We can, you know, if, if something happens to a player and he has to go to hospital, they've got the capacity to handle it. The thing that worries me, Rebecca, and it goes back to your opening um, uh, points, the TV contracts. Now, you're talking about July 12th. I just worry <coughs> that this, this is going to drive everything. And I understand the, the, the money that the, the Premier League will have to pay, um, pay to everybody if they can't complete the season. I just worry that that's going to force it forward, that that date is going to drive everything. And maybe the, the National Health Service isn't going to be ready to, to accept some players or, or situations with this little, little mini league. So um, I, I like the idea. I just worry about the timing, Rebecca, and that it's all about going to be all about the money. And a billion dollars is a lot of money for the Premier League to find because they're not completing a season. You know, whether the TV companies with, with the Premier League can kind of agree a extra time frame to, to get it completed. We can't risk anybody in, in, in the UK have taken away resources or doctors to look after players that might have had a problem in during this tournament. So that's what I add on to, to Kyle's point. Just one question on that, Musty. Um, you know, don't, don't a lot of these teams, I mean, they have their own doctors. I mean, they, they can handle a lot of this without leaning on... Well, couldn't those doctors be used to other things, Kyle? Shouldn't those doctors um, be using to help other people? And Kyle, Kyle, a lot, of, a lot of the paramedics that have to be at grounds, it's a legal requirement, they are from the local hospital. So, that's, you know, broken legs. Yes. I didn't think about that. Yeah, just like major injuries. They had to get taken straight to hospital by the yeah. ambulance that is waiting outside the stadium. That ambulance arguably mm. needs to be on call um, to go and help other people with, with the virus. Um, Lee, I'll come to you last because I feel like you're as, as strong as anyone on your, on your point of view. I think what's definitely clear, I think, from all of these conversations is that none of us know the timeline because nobody knows the timeline and so much of this is we just need to wait and see are you still as strong as you were on your belief that football should be absolutely uh, put to the back of the list of priorities right now and the season in your opinion is is should be null and void well i listen to all the boys and and they've all got really good points um robbie earl's the first point um about the about him changing his opinion on it, and and I've gone both ways. Every day I've changed, but as the day as the days go on, and 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 how more people are dying on a on a daily basis, and the numbers are racking up, I just forgetting about football less and less. Yes, these things are great to get us in that positive mindset of saying, yeah, let's finish the season. Obviously, I want to finish the season. Everybody wants to to be like that. Um, but I think the longer we go on, and Graham made a good point about you know the football authorities have to go through the process and working away behind the scenes in order to get to a point where we get a date and we go, okay, it's going to be then. I think we're a million miles away from that date. And so to sit here and go and read articles about the World Cup, in principle, 
what a brilliant idea. You know, if, if that was, if it was wiped out now, tomorrow, and you said, right, two weeks time, get the players fit, and then we're going to have this crash course of football for the broadcasters every day, game, game. I've been lucky enough to, to be, and the boys as well, been lucky enough to, to broadcast at World Cups in Brazil, in, in Russia. And those, the, the buzz that you get from a daily tournament when you go, well, what games are there today? And these three or four games in a day. It'll be, it's, it's an amazing pipe dream, I think. And, and there's no reason why we can't have those thoughts and say something in the future, something to brighten our lives up at the moment. But I think it's, it, there's so many logistical nightmares to get over if you are going to put a tournament on like that. And Robbie, again, made a really good point about all the players. Yeah, you can, you can keep them in, in isolation and all training together. But the amount of staff that you need to keep those players together, the nutritionists, the chefs, the everything, the friends of a chef who's got a, a daughter who's got the virus. You know, you, so you've got to be completely clear of it. And we're... To, we're, we're, in my opinion, we're next year before that's happening. So, football now becomes for me it can becomes a you know a thing of, of, of in the future. I can't see as I, I would love it to happen. I think that would be a really good idea to finish the season. But I don't think I think we're a million miles away from that. And so us chatting about it and, and throwing the idea out there to see what people think. I think at the moment people will absolutely jump on that and go what a great idea but the logistics of that and, and then what happens to all the other leagues what happens to the championship are they going to do the same in like in London or the Midlands I mean and then you've got you've finished the league and you've got three teams that are getting relegated where are they getting relegated to because the championship haven't finished their season it's just I, I just can't see a way out of it to be honest with Lee, you. Lee they've got nothing but time to work all that out I think I think initially I think everyone's in, within agreement I think it's fair to say that nothing at all happens until it is absolutely safe to do so. And it doesn't contravene any government advice, any World Health Organization advice. Um, the Premier League are absolutely not going to force a tournament through until it is safe to do so. I mean, that would be the starting point, surely. So we're not talking about rushing anything back here. We're not talking about bending people's arms. Come on, we're over the worst. Let's, let's get play, playing football again. The, the starting point that is, is predicated on it being um, cleared to do so. And then once, once you have that, then you come up with the ideas of how you're going to, to complete that season. So what, what happens if that's in February? That's my question. Finish the season in February next year. Fine. So what's Absolutely. more important? This season's more important than next season, correct? Does everyone agree yes. with that? Yeah. yeah. So, if yeah. We, so let's say the 2019-2020 season starts again in February 2021 and finishes in May. Yeah. And then... You've just missed the whole season. Everyone will be okay to basically 2020, 2021 season will just never exist. Mm -hmm. You just go straight yeah. into 2021. In that, in that nightmare scenario, yes. And it's like Graham said as well before, you may as, I mean, because we're so far into this season, and again, you know, it's, it's, it goes back to that argument, should we be debating it in the current situation? But this is a practical debate to have, isn't it, about the resumption of the game of football and Premier League football as and when it's safe to do so. Um, it, it would be, I think it would be irresponsible to scrap a season that's 29 games, 28, 29 games old, to start another season that may also be curtailed. But here, here's, the, here's the challenge, is if you're thinking logically, there's only one truth. It's that you can't play right now. 
and, and, and we, we do not know when that starts up again. If, if you were going to deconstruct a solution based on a truth, you would say, don't push um, a huge gap into the future when you can play. Make sure that you get rid of any challenge to try and play when you know you can't. So, so right now, we know that you cannot finish this season. It is impossible to do that right now. It, it may be impossible for six months. It, it, I, I know it hurts everyone, but saying instead of trying to finish something that has no chance of being finished and being able to start something that will not be interrupted in the future, it, 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 is, the, it is the least disruptive to the ongoing linear path of seasons after seasons after seasons after seasons. But, and Heil, just, just, just quickly with that, you're presuming that we're going to be able to start something that's not going to be finished, which fundamentally isn't the case because... We, we don't know. If we finish something now, this is getting very, very complicated, isn't it? We don't know when the start, we don't know when this is over. So when can you start that? And just, I think, so I think hope, hope is all we've got at the moment because we, we can all just sit here and hope that at some point we get to finish what we're two thirds of the way through but and complete, the- complete, that, um, complete that sort of uh, story. The other thing is, just quickly, just me add before you come back, is that the one thing we're all overlooking as well is the fact that there has to be a global football solution to this because to Lee's point, you can't have one league going yeah, one way all and connected. every other league and they are, in the right? world going the and other. You have they to are, have... Yeah, they are on the phone. They are, that's exactly what came out of UEFA this morning. They are having these conference calls. But, no, I know. That's it. Yeah, even, I know there's even, a, more, there's a, even more, yeah. Graham, that illustrates the... Um, if you do not make this call for everyone, what one one country may be able to start up before another can. So th- they're not going to be able to finish their season because their climate, although has a green light, another country's doesn't. Uh, what I'm saying is, there's only one way to solve this problem for everyone, and it's this season. Did, it, it didn't finish. It didn't happen. Our best chance of getting back on track is being able to start a new season when we can, not finish one, have a, have a gap, start a new season. You have to remember, we have to ramp players up to be ready to play as well. So forget finishing a season. We, we need a period where players actually get sharp enough to finish a season. So it's just so unrealistic to think that we're going to be able to finish a season, have a break, start another season, and get back on track around the world. Probably yeah. It's a slightly ethical position, and I just wanted to throw out there, and you can mediate how it goes. But in terms of legalities, we're talking about a lot of money—a million, was it a billion dollars? Billion dollars. Billion dollars will be owed. Do we not think that the Premier League are trying to get this through? Will want to get this through because of the consequences of what it means to them? Graham has talked about football, football clubs, the, the revenues, the TV deals that, that aren't completed. I just get the sense that this is the, the Premier League are trying to get something sorted as quick as they can because of the ramifications of what the legalities are if they don't complete their, this league by July the 12th. Well, it's also the reality of the fact that clubs, a lot of clubs live hand to mouth. They yeah. rely on Money, um, yeah. income every month in mm. order to pay salaries. Yeah. And football salaries are 80% yeah. of the cost of a club. So there are clubs, that, are, there are clubs yeah. that can... There are clubs that can pay players for a couple of months. Yeah. And, and, and then they're in trouble. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let's get on to that salary situation because I'm sure people watching and listening to this know that Newcastle, Tottenham, and Norwich are the three clubs so far that have put a great number of their non-playing staff on furlough, which basically means they furloughed them, which means they temporary, they've temporarily told them they cannot come to work, but once the economic situation improves, they can return. And it also allows those, um, those people to apply for a, government, a UK government scheme where they should be replenished with or reimbursed with 80% of their wages up to £2,500 a year, which is about, a month, sorry, which is about $3,000-ish a month. Um, so those three clubs have done that already. There is a meeting actually going on right now to talk about players' wages, and there is a groundswell of opinion on both sides um, that players should be taking a deferral. Deferral, of course, meaning 50% wage cut now, and in six months or a year, they'll get all that money back to them, which arguably is not really a very... Um, it's not a huge hardship on players who are earning 100, 200, 300,000 pounds a week to take a 50% pay cut now, knowing that money will get to them in the end. Um, <clears throat> there is a discussion going on right now. What do we think, Robin Musto, let me start with you. Do you believe that the PFA, who appear at the moment pretty resistant to this, they've told their members, do not sign anything until you've heard from us. They sent them an email uh, yesterday, I think, to say that. Um, do you think... Premier League players should come together and say, yes, we will take either a pay cut or pay deferral to help those um, at the club to keep it going, as Graham says, some live hand to mouth. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, think, I think this meeting today and the, uh, the phone calls, etc., is to try and do something blanket. So all the Premier League clubs do the same thing instead of having different clubs deferring different percentages. We see at Barcelona, FC Barcelona, they're doing the same thing. I think it's a 70% pay cut that they've agreed to to help out the people at the club. I mean, the furlough system, Rebecca, I mean, even it, it, the club should look after their own. They shouldn't have to, you, you, you shouldn't have the staff at the club, non-playing staff, have to take money from the government when there's so much money in the Premier League clubs and the players' wages that they should absolutely look after the staff that is the lifeblood of the football clubs. We all know that. We all know the kit women and the tea ladies from, from our time at football clubs. And it's, it's a really important part of the club. Absolutely, the players should be doing this to help out those, those staff members so they haven't got to go to the government. The government doesn't have to raise taxes to pay back for that money in the future. So I think it's a no-brainer, particularly in the Premier League with the, with the wages for the vast majority are so strong and the, the difference in terms of helping out some of the other people at the football club is so great, they should absolutely get it done. Why would the PFA then be saying, don't sign anything? Obviously the union and, and we know... Um, Just to get on the same page, isn't it, Rob? To get on the same page so they, so they agree an amount, that, that, you know what I mean? Instead of doing okay. different deals well, at different clubs. The PFA have to act in the interests of their... Everybody, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that people don't go rogue, I suppose. Lee, I mean, there is a lot of anger out there that Tottenham, for example, I know you're not a huge fan of Spurs, but Tottenham, as an example, Mike Ashley, the same at Newcastle. Um, Joe Lewis, who owns Spurs, is an incredibly wealthy man, and he is furloughing staff, like Robbie says, who are then going to put a burden on the government. So um, that's a slightly separate issue. But in terms of the general way that football clubs are behaving right now, are you of the opinion they should, the players should need to take pay cuts, pay deferrals? Yeah, and it's, it's always difficult to, to focus on one or two separate <laughs> incidents or information that you get about certain clubs until you get the whole 
the whole package and you understand what each club is, is going to do. And, and the PFA will have something to do with that, I'm sure, uh, as far as the players are concerned. But we hear it time and time again. How many times have we heard it over the years, the football family? And, you know, and it's a lovely little word you can throw into a conversation and everyone's together. And, and it's times like these when we've never gone through anything like this before in the football world, in, 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 our, in our lifetime, in, in our normal lives as well. So the football family, in my opinion, has to step up and be counted. And that includes every single player, every single chief executive, everybody who's attached to their football family, whatever it is in their club, and, and actually put their arm around everybody and make sure everybody's looked after. And, that, and that's, I don't even think that's under, certainly not under discussion as far as I'm concerned. And whether you're going, well, you can't do that because of this rule of regulations, absolute rubbish. The, the, the football family needs to stand up and be, and be counted. And, and, you know, individual clubs have got to look at themselves and say, how do we take care of our people? Excellent. A lot of um, the Premier League have to be careful here. Football has to be careful here because we've talked a lot about the fact that it's a great distraction, that it's part of the entertainment industry. We have fun back and forth about whether a season should be finished or not. And, you know, and, and as Carl was saying, you know, get it back. People need it. People are isolating at home and three or four games a day is a great distraction for what we're going through because we love the game so much. But if football is straying into an area where it appears overly greedy and is not taking care of as lee says its own uh, and paying people wages to get them through this hard time and people are then taking money from the government that could have come out of the football pot which we know is pretty rich then i think a lot of sympathy is going to be lost and whether you call it pr or whether you just call it you know ethical i think as rob said it um that, I think, would be a, a massive own goal by football. So the sooner the stakeholders can get together, that includes the Premier League, that includes the players, their agents, everybody involved, and come up with a sensible solution. It doesn't necessarily have to be 70%. It could be 25 could be 30 It's a, it's a huge amount of money uh, on a weekly basis. But it would be more than enough to not furlough any workers. And it would keep that money within football so that football doesn't go cap in hand, a rich sport doesn't go cap in hand to the government at a time like this. Um, just to let you know that Bournemouth have announced today, this has happened in the last couple of hours, um, that the club's chief executive, Neil Blake, the first team technical director, Richard Hughes, Eddie Howe and Jason Tindall, his assistant, have all taken significant voluntary pay cuts for the entirety of this uncertain time. That's just come in this morning, um, which is interesting because that's obviously, they've not waited, have they? They've not waited for those conversations. But although I think you're absolutely right. And I think the, um, I think, you mentioned numbers of, let's say, 25% of a pay deferral. 25%. And, and Robbie Musso talked about the kit ladies, the tea ladies. It's also entire HR departments. It's also finance departments. It's marketing. It's press. You know, anyone who's been in any sporting establishment will see it's not just around the first team. There are so many people working at these clubs, the cleaners, the people who, the security guards, everybody, everybody at these clubs. And 25% of, of all the Premier League First team wages, like you say, with more than those um, those those staff members on. Um, Kyle, do you have anything on this particular point? Uh, I agree with everything said. I'll just add a few thoughts in that. Um, you know, I can see how people, you know, m might um, say, "Listen, just like relegation clauses, and, and and you get your salary cut." I mean, the difference is that's that's lack of performance. That's kind of reverse bonuses, right? You should have performed better. Now your salary's lower. This is just about 
um, you know, decency and community. I mean, think about how football clubs have been saved by fans over the years when they go into bankruptcy and fans come together and they're the ones that financially end up supporting clubs through bankruptcy and create these amazing trusts and, 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 and keep the beauty of what those communities mean and keep the football club about, you know, helping and standing up for each other. So, um, you know, it, it does come back to the challenge of, of saying at any point these Premier League players are going to play a season because basically you're paying them to be ready whenever that, that comes. I think the size of the salaries and the fact that, that they can't afford to do this makes it a pretty easy thing to say, listen, um, these, are, these are unprecedented, challenging times. And just like Common Goal and some of these other groups that players voluntarily share some of their salary to help social enterprise and global causes – I mean, this should be a no-brainer that um, they find some sort of solution that the rising tide lifts all boats to say thank you, supporters, thank you, fans, thank you, everyone, thank you, people that help us perform on the field, everyone, uh, every day, and we have an intimate relationship with, and you know, let's do what we can to help ease the burden because we don't know where the other side is on this thing. I, I think also clubs and, and brands and stakeholders in the Premier League need to start getting creative. I mean, look at NBC Sports and, and our, our great team and producers and stuff, finding ways where we can still bring value and connect with fans that we're fortunate to tune in every weekend. And I think a lot of these clubs could be a bit more creative with, with using digital channels to grab their players and others to interact with fans that, that are feeling the the hurt right now and, and get an amazing moment of getting to talk with some of their star players and things like that. I just think, you know, finances are obviously important because people are really hurting out there, but also connectivity. You know, we need to come up with ways where people don't feel like they're compartmentalized in a silo. We, they know why they're there, but while they're there, I, mean, I think that we can come up with ways like this and everyone can think out of the box to, you know, to ease the pain right now that everyone's feeling. Can I just make a couple of practical points, Bex, with, with yeah. the conversations about players and, and deferrals? Obviously, the deferral, they won't get paid back money if the season's cancelled. So if they defer a percentage for three months and the season's cancelled or four months and the season's cancelled, they won't get that money back, um, which is fine. I agree completely with everyone. And I'm, you know, we're all absolutely on the same page. The other difficulty is the fact that every club is in a different financial uh, position. So, for instance, in Spain, some clubs have already said that they're going to continue to pay their players 100% of their salary, not lay any staff off because they've got money in the bank for various reasons. Um, other clubs like Barcelona, who are one of the richest clubs in the world on paper, have one of the biggest wage bills. So they've come to an agreement and it was a struggle as well to come to agreement where the players are taking a 70% reduction for a period of time. But there's a lot of caveats with that. And there are a lot of individual cases within each conversation, which I think is one of the reasons why for us on the outside, it's very easy for us to say, well, they should have come to an agreement. The Premier League, the Football League, the FA, the PFA should all have come to an agreement and, and set about um, enacting this, this, this um, uh, wage um, uh, deferral. Um, but the reality is, I think that you've got, you've got two extremes. You've got people that want, you know, want to cut salaries by more, others that want less, and other very specific questions that each club has. So I think the best solution would be absolutely everybody signs up to salary sacrifice. Um, but I think there should be a, a range as well, because <laughs> cynical me looks at it and thinks that some clubs will look to take advantage of their financial situation and health 
over, over others. And at the end, we all have to find a way that, that is right for the club and maybe not judge one club doing a bit more and another club doing a little bit less. Just that the principles are that every club is doing as much as they can to keep their financial health and stability of the club. And that's always going to revolve around players because they're the ones that are taking, you know, the, the biggest chunk of, of, of any club's income. So it's not the same thing, but my, my buddy, um, just real quick, Earl, um, you know, my, my buddy's in the restaurant industry and there are groups of restaurants, kind of like football clubs, right? Have a staff, you know, they can't afford to pay these people. They can't produce their product anymore. They've created funds and, and everyone pays, pays into the fund and there's donations, there's things. And, and the fund then figures out how to distribute based on what you said, what's needed in what group, look at the financials. So you know, there, there's a lot of ways they can solve this. I just hope they're trying to get to the table to figure it out. So, sorry, Earl. Yeah, sorry. I just want to make a point on what Graham said, and I think he's 100% right. But, and Lee Dixon made the point earlier, where we talk about the football family. When we talk about the Premier League, in reality, every club's looking after itself. And that's probably why every club needs to think about what they can do in their circumstances because of contracts, because of wages, et cetera, et cetera. But I also wonder, and maybe a conversation podcast for another day, but shouldn't football be sort of looking at itself? And maybe we hit the time where we're going to start to look at salaries. And we're talking about clubs with millions, hundreds of millions of dollars that go in there, and they can only run for a certain number of weeks. Are we paying too much money? Is, is there too much money floating around there? Mm. Why don't we start to think of people saying, hold on a minute, this has come now and it, it could have put us in jeopardy. We have to think about these things maybe going in the future. Football might change. The way football clubs run might change because of what we're seeing now. Well, we've been saying, haven't we, for, mm. I don't know, maybe ever since I started my career, maybe yeah. 18, 19 years ago, the bubble's going to burst. Yeah. Maybe yeah. the bubble is on the verge of bursting. And I think, you know, I think that you were saying, Graham, salary sacrifice has to happen if, in different ways for different clubs, but it's a gesture. It's a gesture to go back to what Arlo said, to try and ensure the connection between the fans and the players is maintained at this time because there's already a disconnect at times between players and fans, you know, based on money. But right now when we're witnessing nurses and doctors doing what they're doing and people coming out of retirement and getting paid, you know, not a huge amount in comparison to these players, the gesture, I think, would, would go a long way to just lifting people's spirits and giving some hope that we're all in this together. And I think that spirit of all being in this together is something that, will carry everybody forward in the best possible way through an absolute nightmare, which everybody's experiencing. Um, so let's fingers crossed and hope that we, we see lots more gestures like that. I know we've all seen lots of gestures personally in our own lives and around us and in the public eye as well. People are doing great things out there and it's certainly a testing time for the human spirit, but good always does come out of everything. So guys, thank you so much. Another podcast is in the bag. It's really lovely to see all your lovely faces. Miss you all very much. Um, and let's do it again next week, next Wednesday morning. So for everybody watching and, for list and listening as well, um, this has been the Premier League on NBC podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcast. It's also available for you on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. So from all of us here, we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. All right. Stay safe, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.